26. At the near end of the academy training grounds, the youngest students were practicing force leaps, stepping to the mark with knitted brows and launching themselves one after the other over a three-meter crossray. Most cleared the red beam with a simple arcing dive, then dropped into the landing area head first, relying on the safety repulsors to break their falls. But a few, especially from their more agile species, executed graceful somersaults and came down on their feet. Some of the children in line noticed Luke and Mara emerging from the access tunnel and began to point and whisper, so Luke made a show of nodding approval as the next few jumpers cleared the beam. These are Woodoos, Luke explained to their guest, Aristocra Chaform Bintrani, of the Chiss Ascendancy. They're our youngest students. Your youngest? A few centimeters shorter than Luke, the Aristocra was relatively small for a Chiss, with a blue angular face just beginning to sag with age. How young are they? The Woodoos are generally between five and seven years old, Formby. Mara said, calling the Aristocra by his core name. Though that varies by species, some mature at markedly different rates. Yes, well, we wouldn't have that problem in the Ascendancy. Formby folded his hands behind his back and peered across the running track of children. Which one is your son? Luke felt the pang in his wife's chest as clearly as the one in his own. But when Mara answered, her voice betrayed no hint of her emotions. Our son doesn't attend the Jedi Academy. How strange. Formby continued to watch the Woodoos. My file lists his age as seven. Ben is withdrawing from the Force. As much as it pained him, Luke had no intention of hiding the fact. That would have implied he was ashamed, and he was not. We don't know why. Formby turned. I didn't know children could do that. Most can't, Mara said. Ben demonstrated exceptional power from birth. This only confirms how gifted he is. I see, Formby said. I am sorry, then, that he is choosing not to develop his potential. We're not, Luke said. He felt Mara's ire rising, but the smile on her face remained polite. Winning Formby's cooperation was going to be difficult enough without allowing Chiss manners to become an issue. Children must want to be at the academy to succeed. We don't force anyone to attend, and we do everything we can to encourage them to enjoy their time here. We even arrange employment for their parents on Asis. Some are assistant trainers here at the academy, Mara said, and we encourage students to develop at their own pace. So when Ben is ready, his natural abilities will allow him to establish himself very quickly. I have no doubt. Formby turned back to the training grounds, looking past the Woodoos to where the Rontos were practicing telekinesis by smashing giant beanbags against each other. But I'm sure you didn't summon me here to discuss Jedi training techniques. As a matter of fact, we did, Luke said. They had also asked Suntir Fell to come, but he had politely declined, explaining it would not do for anyone on the Defense Fleet General Staff to consort with Ascendancy enemies. We want you to understand what goes into the training of a modern Jedi. Hoping to impress me so much that I'll persuade the ruling council to let you handle the Koribu problem? Formby asked. 
Precisely, Mara said, and it was an invitation, not a summons. Funny, your message mentioned the Brask Auto. That's right, Luke said. The Brask Auto was a Chiss battle station he and Mara had saved during an earlier trip into Ascendancy territory. We wanted you to know it was authentic. Formby smiled. As I said, a summons. We Chiss always repay debts of honor. He waved a hand toward the interior of the training complex. Please, impress me. Luke led the way across the running track to the slide walk that circled the inner fields, then heard an alarmed whistle behind them. He glanced back to find R2-D2 traversing in a banked turn, one tread off the ground and perilously close to tipping over. Your droid seems rather intoxicated, Formby observed. A memory fault is playing havoc with his systems. Luke reached out in the force and carried R2-D2 over to the slidewalk. I don't want it repaired until we find a way to extract some information stored in the chip. Formby watched with an amused expression as the droid settled onto the slidewalk behind him. And this information is so valuable you must keep the droid with you at all times. Luke thought for a moment, then said, Yes. The truth was that R2-D2 kept scheduling himself for a chip replacement, so Luke had decided to keep him nearby until the Galactic Alliance's best slicer, Zakaris Gint, arrived to bypass the security program protecting the memory chip. It could solve a very old mystery for us. Then I wish you luck, Formby said. He pointed to a circle of twelve-year-olds. Banthas, sitting cross-legged around a single happy-looking nerf, waving their fingers and sending the contented beasts waddling back and forth among them. What in space are they doing? Mind tag, Mara explained. It's how they develop their persuasive abilities. Formby gave her a sharp look. I trust that's not how you intend to persuade me. The technique only works on the weak-minded, Luke said. And no Jedi would ever consider a Chiss Aristocra to be weak-minded. Good. I was given to believe Jedi Knights are rarely fools. We generally try to train that out before anyone becomes a Jedi Knight, yes, Mara said. Then why do you insist on involving yourselves at Koribu? Formby's voice was casual, as though it were only an idle question. The conflict is no concern to the Galactic Alliance. The Jedi serve the Force. Luke was keeping an eye on R2-D2, making sure he did not wander off. Our concerns reach well beyond the Galactic Alliance. Formby's gaze grew hard. Into the Ascendancy. Into the colony, at least, Luke said. Formby looked away, focusing his attention on a group of 14-year-olds who were using their lightsabers to bat live blaster bolts back and forth. These students had no nickname. Once students built their first lightsabers, they were simply known as apprentices. You understand nothing about the colony, Formby said, almost absently. If you did, you would leave it to us. We understand that what you're doing at Karibu comes close to violating Chiss law, Mara said. Unless the Ascendancy has bent from a thousand years of tradition. A lot has changed in the Ascendancy. Formby's voice grew resigned. But not that. 
it remains unlawful for the Chiss to be the aggressor people. I've always admired that about the Ascendancy, Luke said. In truth, I find it rather quaint. But having no desire to find myself exiled, I follow the law, even if it means the destruction of the Ascendancy itself. A line of ten-year-old students appeared ahead, racing toward Luke and the others against the flow of the slidewalk. Formby started to step aside so they could pass, but Mara used the force to gently tug him back. Please, Aristocra, she said. They'll be disappointed if we rob them of their chance to show off. Formby eyed the chubby, kittenack girl at the head of the line, then cocked his brow when she suddenly sprang off the slidewalk, turned a force flip over his head, and landed gracefully, if somewhat heavily, behind him. The rest of the students followed suit, beaming in pride as they somersaulted over Luke and the others. Once Formby grew accustomed to the game, he even encouraged the students by pretending to flinch before each one jumped. Thank you for indulging them, Aristocra, Luke said. The dining halls will be buzzing tonight with how they actually drew a reaction from you. My pleasure, as long as they understand the difference when they become Jedi Knights. They will. Mara said. Chiss courage is legendary around here, which is why I'm so puzzled about your fear of Killix. If you are puzzled, it is only because you are ignorant of the colony's true nature. Then enlighten us, Luke said. The sooner the Jedi understand the situation, the sooner we will find a solution and end our presence in Koribu. And if there is no solution, it would be better to discover that now before any more of the Jedi become like Raynar. Formby frowned. Who is Raynar? Raynar Thule, Mara said. He went MIA during the war. He was presumed dead, but apparently his ship crashed inside the colony. A nest of Killix rescued him and saved his life, Luke said. Saved his life? Formby sounded surprised. When did this Raynar come up missing? About six years ago. Close. Luke began to have a sinking feeling. It was a little over seven. I see. Formby's gaze turned inward. That explains it. Explains what? Mara demanded. The Defense Fleet Reconnaissance Corps has been watching the colony for centuries. It has been slowly expanding over time, but it wasn't considered a threat. Until recently, Mara surmised. Correct. The insects, Killix as you call them, are clearly intelligent, but they've customarily shown little concern for life. When one was injured, its companions would simply abandon it, and when food grew scarce, whole columns would just wander off to die. And that changed six years ago, Luke said. Formby nodded. The first satellite nest appeared on our border, and we began to notice an exponential population increase. Imagine our surprise when we learned that now they had hospitals to care for their ailing, and were using interstellar trade to alleviate the cyclic food shortages that once kept their populations in check. And that frightened the ascendancy into sending your defoliators to give nature a helping hand? Mara asked. No. Formby accepted the criticism in her question without visible emotion. 
We didn't make that decision until later, after we discovered how dangerous they were. The slidewalk carried them past a sunken basin, where a group of adolescent apprentices stood meditating under the watchful eye of a training Jedi Knight. They were surrounded by twenty grown adults, who were shouting insults at them and pelting them with missiles ranging from kitchen leftovers to sting balls. My word, Formby gasped. What kind of drill is that? It's a centering exercise, Luke said proudly. He was counting on this part of the tour to persuade Formby to speak on their behalf on the Chiss capital world, Sela. Your Jedi must learn to detach themselves from their emotions, to remain focused regardless of whatever they are feeling at the time. There are several other versions, Mara added. A five-day fast while the rest of the Academy feasts around them, a three-day swim in a warm bubble pool, an all-night tickle where they're forbidden to laugh. That may sound silly, but that's actually the most difficult test, Luke said. And if they fail, they repeat the other exercises. Formby stared at them as though they had told him they were Sith Lords. You people make the Siruk look kind. Jedi Knights often find themselves in tumultuous situations. Their judgment must remain sound, no matter what they're feeling. Sound judgment is a warrior's best weapon. Though I don't understand what the Jedi have against laughing. The slidewalk carried them past the centering exercise, where R2-D2's presence began to fade. Luke looked back again, finding the confused droid facing the wrong direction. Used the force to lift him back to the group. Mara was already grilling Formby again. Convinced the ascendancy the Killicks are dangerous? Formby hesitated a moment, then asked, Do you recall our first meeting? when I welcomed you aboard the Chaff Envoy to examine the wreck of the outbound flight. How could we forget? Luke said. The whole mission was a gambit to lure the Vagari into attacking, so you could carry the war to them legally. The choice was theirs, Formby said defensively. But yes, and do you happen to remember how many ruling families there were at the time? Nine, Mara said insistently. When it came to politics, she rarely forgot a fact. But five years later, when we visited Sila, the number was four. I assumed the discrepancy to be the result of the war with the Figari. Not directly, but the third Figari war did leave us with a labor shortage, and that led to the discrepancy. I'm afraid I don't understand, Luke said. Were the losses of some families so heavy, several families began to hire entire nests from the colony. It seemed the perfect solution. The insects were plentiful, industrious, but not averse to risk. This was a couple of years before your Raynar arrived, and they began to care about surviving. Hornby winced at how that sounded, then hastened to add, Of course, we were careful not to take advantage. Of course. Luke had the unhappy feeling that he saw where this was leading. Didn't you know about the joiners? We took precautions. Very stringent precautions. That still didn't work, Mara surmised. They worked, Formby replied. Until someone started sabotaging them. The Killicks? Luke asked. Formby frowned. 
We value fools more than the Jedi, Master Skywalker. The precautions remained solely under our control. There was a moment of silence, then Mara asked, And? We don't really understand. It may have been interfamily rivalries. All we know is that the precautions broke down, and before we realized it, two entire families had become joiners. Only two? Luke asked. What about the other missing families? Three of the families had become critically dependent on insect labor. There was a dispute over the best course of action. The Ascendancy had a civil war. Luke gasped. Chiss do not have civil wars, Master Skywalker. We have disagreements. The matter was resolved before your visit to Sheila, though I do believe you were witness to some reverberations. The attack on Suntir fell? Mara asked. I thought that concerned the aid he provided the Galactic Alliance against the Yuzhan Vong. It is easy to disagree with the policies of someone who has destroyed your family. Fell has a habit of being too merciful for his own good. The slidewalk carried them to the training field that had been Luke's destination all along. A jumbled course full of traps, hazards, and obstacles. Two teams of senior apprentices, one team large and strong, the other small and quick, were running back and forth through the course. Using long-handled rackets, stun blasters, and forced telekinesis to pass half a dozen crackling jet balls to each other through the air. In the midst of the crashing bodies and acrobatic power plays, a single referee was struggling to maintain order. Motioning Formby and Mara along, Luke stepped off the slidewalk, then reached out with a metal hand and pulled R2-D2 to his side. Luke did not launch into a description of the game, however. He still had some questions about the trouble with the Killicks. I'm beginning to see why the Ascendancy doesn't want the colony encroaching on its frontier, Luke said. Were the Killicks also responsible for the destruction of the Empire of the Hand? Formby turned and, in a surprised voice, asked, What makes you think the Empire of the Hand has been destroyed? Luke wasn't fooled for a moment. He could feel the aristocrat's dismay through the Force. And so could Mara. Baron fell for starters, she said. He wouldn't have abandoned his duties while the Empire of the Hand stood. Perhaps it was merely absorbed. After being battered into nothingness? We know that Narawan has been abandoned. Something must have happened. Formby sighed in resignation. The Empire of the Hand served the purpose Methron Yerodo intended, though it was not against the colony, as you suggest. The Vagari, then? The Yuzhan Vong? That's really all I am at liberty to say, except, perhaps, that the colony is only one of the terrors remaining to the unknown regions. Do not be surprised to see the Empire of the Hand rise again, when there is need. I see. Luke said, saddened to have confirmed what he had already suspected. I know that three of the fell children survived, but what of Chuck? Only two survived, Jagged and Wynn. Chuck, Davin, and Cherith are all dead. I'm sorry to hear that. I liked Chuck very much. 
But what of Kim? Mara asked, picking the question off the top of Luke's head. Was she killed too? Kim? A sly smile came to Formby's mouth. Kim is a son's name. Excuse me, we never actually met. I should think not. The smile grew wider and shiftier. Kim would be the Fell's shadow child. Shadow child? Luke asked. Publicly unacknowledged. Secret, in fact. It's a common chis precaution to keep enemies from wiping out an entire ruling family. Luke began to have a guilty feeling in his stomach. How secret? Quite. In fact, this is the first time I've heard of Kim Fell. I imagine you heard the name from when. Jason did, Mara replied. How could you know? Wynn is notorious for spilling secrets. And now we've compounded it, Luke said. I hope you'll hold the name in confidence. Of course. Formby's voice was sincere, and you shouldn't feel bad. Suntir Fell is a clever one. I often suspect that Wynn reveals only what he wishes her to. Thank you. Luke returned the smile hoping to conceal his doubt about the Aristocra's reassurances. He waved at the training field, where the small team had won control of all six jet balls and was driving deep into opposition territory. And now, perhaps you'd allow me to explain the game we're watching. Please. It looks refreshingly riotous. We call it Scorch. It's actually the referee who's being trained. Each team has a set of secret goals such as collecting three balls, or sending two into one goal and one into another, and it's the referee's job to discover what those goals are and see that both sides win. If that's possible, Mara said, in some scorched scenarios, the goals are mutually exclusive. Then the referee must see that both teams achieve an equivalent level of victory. The referee, a black-furred devil with eyes as red as Formby's, popped up from behind a wall and sent a small Rodian sprawling. He intercepted the jet ball that had been coming in her direction and sent it sailing toward the other end of the course. The referee can also arrange complete losses for both sides, Luke said, though that's a last resort. It's considered barely adequate. What an odd game, Formby said. R2-D2 emitted a discordant series of beeps, then raised his transceiver antenna and began to move off. Luke scowled and called, R2, come back here. When R2-D2 continued toward the scorch field, Luke excused himself and caught up to the droid. Didn't you hear me? We're in the middle of some very important business. R2-D2 whistled a sharp reply. I'm sure your business is important too but you'll have to conduct it over there, with us. R2-D2 pivoted on a tread, then tweedled a question. If it can't wait, you'll have to. You're in no condition to wander around the training grounds alone. Another question. Yes, on Ossus. Where did you think we were? R2-D2 gave a confused sigh, then reluctantly returned to Luke. Mara was explaining the theory behind Scorch as two players, a Wookiee and a Squib, wrestled with the devil referee in an attempt to keep him from interfering with the game. The only rules are the ones the referee can persuade the players to accept, she was saying. 
And his only rule is that he can't use his lightsaber on any of the players. It sounds like a dangerous game, Formby observed. How many students are killed playing it? These are senior apprentices, Luke said. They can take care of themselves. And there are always healing trances, Mara added. Healing trances are good, Luke agreed. The idea is to teach our Jedi Knights to look for secret agendas and develop solutions that work for everyone. He turned to Formby. That's what we hope to do at Koribu. Very noble. Formby turned away from the game. But I have seen nothing to convince me that you understand the Killix any better than we do. Quite the opposite, in fact. We haven't had as long to study them as you have, Mara retorted. But our senior scientist has already developed a theory about how joiners are created and about how the Killix collective mind functions, Luke said. Which is? Thornby asked. Luke sensed that the question was a test. We believe joiners are created when Killick pheromones alter the basic structure of the corpus callosum. Those changes allow the joiners to receive signal impulses directly from the Killick brains, which, we presume, have a similar capacity. And what is the transfer agent? Luke hesitated. He could sense that they were close to winning Formby's support, but they were crossing from theory to guesswork here, and he did not want to undermine their progress by making a wild-sounding assertion. Mara disagreed. He could feel her through their force bond, urging him to take the chance. We think the impulses are transferred through auras, but we're having trouble identifying exactly which part. All of them. Heat, electric, magnetic, probably chemical. At least that's what our scientists think. But that doesn't explain the will. The will? Mara asked. As far as we know, only individuals from the same nest share a truly collective mind. Our scientists describe it as a sort of very advanced telepathy, where an individual has access to the thoughts and sense impressions of the entire nest. Luke nodded. That was just as Techley and Tahiri described the experience, though he was not going to admit that to Formby. That's what our investigations suggest. But insects from different nests must communicate with each other via language, just as we do. The collective mind doesn't seem to extend far beyond the confines of the nest. Which is exactly what you'd expect if the communication medium is their aura, Mara said. To participate in the collective mind, an individual would always have to be within range of their insect's aura, and that one would have to be close to another. Precisely. The collective mind can extend over quite a large area, as long as the chain of insects remains unbroken. R2-D2 began to beep for attention. Not now, R2, Luke said. He did not want to give Formby time to reconsider what he was about to tell them. Please continue, Aristocra. Formby glanced at the droid, then nodded. But the entire colony seems to be subject to a single will. We've noticed that nests all across the sector are acting in concert, pursuing a single unified purpose. Let me guess. Expanding the colony. Very good. And this will appeared about six years ago? Mara asked. 
when they started to develop hospitals and interstellar trade? Right again. And frankly, we're puzzled. How so? Luke asked. Perhaps we can clear something up for you. Formby smiled. Yes. Soontir suggested you would respond well to an information exchange. And we believe this mystery is to be particularly well-suited to the Jedi. We'll do what we can, Mara said, leaving out what exactly she meant by can. Though as I said before, we haven't had as long to study the Killix as you have. That has been to your advantage, I assure you. Otherwise, if you were wise, you would leave our part of the galaxy to us and avoid the colony at all costs. We Jedi try to be brave, as well as wise, Luke replied mildly. Now, how can we be of service? Our scientists are having trouble understanding how the will exerts its hold over the entire colony. The distances involved are too great for it to function through their auras, as the collective mind does. Killix aren't Force-sensitive, if that's what you're thinking. At least not the ones we've met. Would they need to be? If each nest had just one joiner who could feel the will, wouldn't the entire nest be subject to it? Possibly, Mara allowed. Luke felt her alarm growing as clearly as his own. It was growing all too obvious that Unu, Raynar's nest, was the source of what the Chiss were calling the will. But this central will would have to be magnitude stronger than the wills of the individual nests. And it could be, Luke said, recalling how powerful Raynar had grown in the Force. A gifted joiner might be able to draw on the Force potential of the entire nest. I thought you said the Killix aren't Force-sensitive, Formby said. He did, Mara answered. Force-sensitive means you have the ability to tap into the Force. Force potential is just another way of saying life energy. All livings generate force energy, Luke explained. He was beginning to see that Formby had played them, just as he had during the investigation of the outbound flight wreck. But I suspect you already knew that. The information is readily available on any holonet terminal in the Galactic Alliance. But it is good to have our theory vetted by the experts, Formby said still trying to maintain his charade. And it seems a reasonable exchange, considering what I gave you. It would have been, if that's all you'd come for. Luke turned back to the scorch field, buying himself a moment to contain his rising emotions. The anger he felt was at himself, for failing to see Formby's game early on, before they had told him about Raynar. But you came looking for a name the source of the will. Formby spread his hands and stepped to Luke's side. You were the ones who summoned me. On the scorch field, the small team once again had control of all six jet balls and were racing toward the large team's goal. The devil referee was limping after them with one furry arm synth glued to his knee. You have what you came for, Mara said, but it wouldn't be wise to act on the information. Formby looked at her in surprise. Are you threatening me? She's telling you that killing Raynar won't return the colony to what it was, Luke said. If you assassinate him, 
All you're going to do is have a trillion angry insects who don't care if they die, and the Jedi won't be able to save you. Actually, we were counting on that. The Jedi have no business. R2-D2 emitted a piercing shriek, then began to bang back and forth on his treads until Luke looked down. R2, I said, R2's hollow projector activated, and a fuzzy image of Leia appeared on the ground in front of him. For a moment, Luke thought it was that old message she recorded for Obi-Wan. Then he noticed that she was dressed in a white jumpsuit instead of a ceremonial gown and her hair was falling loose down her back, instead of being gathered in those ear buns she used to wear. Luke? Her voice was scratchy and barely audible. Are there? Yes, Luke answered. R2, where's this coming from? R2-D2 tweedled a sharp reply. I know it's being relayed through the Academy Holonet transceiver, Luke said. He dropped to his knee. Leia, where are you? Luke? Leia's image said. Can't you? But important. Killick attacked Saba. Stowaways on. Think after you and maybe Ben. Stowaways, Mara gasped. An image of their son holding an empty container of gel meat flashed from her mind to Luke's. Then she was racing toward the exit. Ben! Careful, Leia's image said. The image grew motionless, obviously waiting for a reply. Tell the comm officer to acknowledge and ask for a repeat, Luke instructed R2. Tell if, Leia said. Again later, the image winked out, leaving R2-D2 buzzing in frustration. It's okay, R2. We heard enough. Luke turned to find Formby, eyeing him with an expression halfway between smugness and concern. I'm afraid we'll have to cut our tour short. Of course, Formby replied. It sounds as though you'll be quite busy, as will I. Is that so? Luke used the force to summon a pair of apprentices out of the Scorch game to escort Formby and look after R2-D2. Can the Jedi be of any assistance? Not really. Chief of State Omas was kind enough to send an escort to accompany me to his office on Coruscant. I see. I assume you'll be discussing the situation at Koribu? Formby smiled and dipped his head in acknowledgement. Discussing would be the wrong word, I'm afraid.